0: Patreon.com slash playvolutionhq or click the link in the show description to learn more.
1: Welcome to
0: Renegade Rules. Kick back, settle in, and let us fill your ear holes with early learning information, wisdom, and advice. And now here's Heather and Jeff. Welcome to Renegade Rules. Jeff Johnson here with Heather Shoemaker. Heather Shoemaker, via our virtual podcast studio, we've got a guest with us today. You want to introduce her and tell us what we're talking about?
2: Yeah, we are excited. Um, um, I believe you're in New Hampshire at the moment. This is Angela Hanscom, and she's the author of Balanced and Barefoot, which is a book all about kids and nature and the wonderful benefits of that that's deeper than you think. Um, and the founder of Timbernook, which does great things. If you don't know Angela, I'm just really excited to introduce her to you. So, hello, welcome. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we would love to dive into all the good stuff that you have to share with families and um, caregivers and so on. So tell us just to start a little bit about your, your book, Balanced and Barefoot, and, and the tremendous splash that it's really helped people all over the world with. Uh-oh. Sure. Angela so just... Balanced
0: and Barefoot is... Oh. oh, you froze up for a second, Angela. And then again. Okay. Uh oh. Are you? You want to do your question again, Heather, and then we'll see if it works this time because Angela froze.
2: Okay. And if the freezing continues, maybe we can have her call in by phone. Yep. Okay. So we are except. <laughs> We're excited to have um, everybody get to meet Angela because she does some wonderful things with kids and nature. And of course, we all know it's great to have kids doing free play out in nature, but there's a deeper level to it that I love about your work, Angela. So um, could you start off so that people get to know you and and what you do? It just tell us a little bit about your book, Balanced and Barefoot. Sure,
1: so Balanced and Barefoot is a book about the importance of unrestricted outdoor play um, you know in the unconventional sense of um, having adults step back a little bit and allowing kids to come up with their, their own play ideas.
2: And I mean, this is something we all know and embrace, which is, yes, free play. Kids need that time. They need that space. And you can give them time and space in an indoor environment. Um, But what are the things that especially enhance it when they have time and space for free play when you're outdoors?
1: Yeah, so um, when you step outdoors, what's different is you have, because the environment is drastically different, and you have plenty of room to move around. Children have the ability to move in all different directions um, and challenge senses in different ways, um, not only through movement, but also through the senses that are engaged once you step outdoors. So, you know, the wind on your face, um, you know, sunshine beating down, bird sounds, all of that actually helps children know where their body is in space and affects development in different ways. Um, So, yeah, the book talks about the importance of stepping outdoors and what that means for development Um, and then talks about, you know, the importance of, um, you know, coming up with their own play ideas and taking play to a a whole new level with other children and um, ways for to kind of inspire that kind of play again.
2: Mm -hmm. And can you tell people about your own background a little bit? Because I think... Um, some of us know from our gut that this is good. Um, that kind of play just thrives when you're outdoors. But what about all these big words like vestibular and and all kinds of sensory things? And how does the whole system? How does this actually work um, in the developing
1: child? Right. So my background, I'm a pediatric occupational therapist, and um, basically. Um, you know, moving around is um, definitely um, affects the vestibular sense, and that is a sense that not a lot of um, people know about, Um, And but it's key to all the other senses. It's key to organization and sensory integration, and um, what's happening really in society is children are often sitting. Recent research states that um, kids are sitting about nine hours a day on average um, in America, and so if they're in a seat so often, um, they're just they're restricting their ability to go upside down, to spin in circles, um, and inside the inner ear are little hair cells, and we need to move in different ways so that the fluid can move back and forth and stimulate that, those hair cells, and that develops your vestibular sense. Um, and it, is, it does support a lot of the other senses and helps to organize them. So it helps with attention, it helps with emotional regulation, and activity regulation too. So we always talk about kids being off the wall, but movement helps them to regulate that back down again.
2: Mm-hmm. And it
1: supports all six eye muscles to be able to work as a team, which is important for reading and for writing, um, and it also helps with um, knowing where your body is in space. So in a clinic setting, we actually have swings hanging from ceilings because we purposely will position children in different directions um, and, and spin them so that they actually know where their body is in space. Um, one of our OTs in our field was um, worked closely with NASA, for instance, the astronauts, before they go into outer space, Because the astronauts, what they do is they get in a machine that goes upside down and it moves them in all different directions. Um, So before they go in an anti-gravity environment, they need to really know where their body is. So she developed a tool that's very similar and it's called an astronaut board. And it's a board where you spin children and you position them in different directions. But essentially it's helping kids know um, where their body is in space so that they can be very much more efficient and safer when navigating uneven terrain outside, um, playing on and off playground equipment. Um, But the problem is if we are constantly keeping children upright or in a seated position, they're (laughs) not getting those rapid movements. They need to develop the vestibular sense. And it's kind of like the um, cardio system, like the heart and lungs We need um, plenty of cardio activity in order for our heart and lungs to stay strong. Um, And the same with muscular sense. Like if we we work out once a week, we're not going to get really strong and buff. Now, the vestibular sense is the same. If you're only getting movement, like you're playing soccer, you're playing a sport um, once a week, or you're just not getting enough, um, you know, outdoor play, then our vestibular sense can actually weaken. Um, so we need frequent intense movement opportunities basically um, every week in order to even just maintain that sense so if kids are restricted so much what happens in, in the, is in the inner ear the fluid can thicken and they can get ear infections and they can actually have a poor sense of body awareness um, so when kids are spinning in circles like often sometimes I'll hear adults say don't do that you're going to get dizzy um, or <laughs> you know jumping off a rock over and over to kind of master that sense. Um, You know, when we do that, we actually become the barrier to that neurological development. And so, um, you know, we need to allow them to move in different ways in order for them to organize their brain. Wow.
2: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, you know, it's funny because I was wondering if you can say a little bit about the age group that really needs to move. You know, I don't spend a lot of time hanging upside down. In fact, yeah. I noticed that when I reached for a drawer where my, I used to keep my toothpaste and I have to go that far down, I start to get a little dizzy and I think, ah! Um, but nice. when I was a kid, I spent all the time spinning on what we called the monkey swing. And I would just go one direction for hours, it seemed, and then the other direction. So, you know, there are different times of life where we really seek out these sensory experiences and it, it's all part of our development. Um, but are there ages, you know, say early childhood or, you know, once you're getting into high school, that kids need some of this movement more than others?
1: Um, it's really, that's great that you asked that question. Um, two things. One is um, occupational therapists will actually advocate for adults to keep moving. Um, just, again, it's like the cardio sense. Like they want adults to keep dancing and to keep moving um, to help prevent falls. And um, in the geriatric population, and, um, and hip fractures and that sort of thing. But what's happening is we're actually seeing kids fall out of chairs in school, because (laughs) we're we're not because and they're falling from an early age, which is a really um, a red flag that they're not getting enough movement. Um, And children don't. Always have the choice to move. So for adults, we can say, well, I need, I need to get out more. Or even a teacher will be walking around the classroom, but we're telling the kids to sit still. Now, um, so all ages can benefit from movement, and they can keep a strong distiller sense. Um, if you're not moving enough when you're older, one indicator of that is um, you might not tolerate rides like you did when years passed. <laughs> yes. <until. laughs> right? Um, So that's a good indicator that your vestibular sense might have weakened, um, and it's not quite strong enough. But the the first seven years of life is very critical to organize the senses. And so you'll see the most gain and the most connections in the brain um, before the age of seven. So it's really important that we allow young children from an early age to have plenty of movement opportunities, now, babies actually have a fully functioning vestibular sense when they're born, um, if they're full term. So because if you think about it, often they're upside down and the, the mother's moving around. And so the baby, um, when they're born, they um, look at they look at um, having a typical eye response. So they spin the babies and they look at nystigmas, the They look at their eyes after. And um, they can measure that. Children, babies have a typical eye response just like older children. It's not like vision where you, they see black and white and they have to um, refine that sense. However, if we keep babies upright in containers, so if we're constantly putting them in car seats and um, you know um, holding them upright all the time and not allowing them to play on the ground, that, um, and they can have more ear infections from an earlier age, Um, They have trouble integrating the senses um, and reflexes um, and it's, it's um, it becomes a problem right from a very early age. Um, So,
0: so Angela, I got to ask all of this stuff you're talking about is, is brand new research that's been done in the last two years, right? Because for decades we've (laughs) been putting babies in containers and telling kids to sit still. And so we, this is brand new knowledge we have. We, we haven't been making bad choices for, for decades Right? Please tell me, right?
1: Well, this is all, it's just neuroscience and it's been around. There's a lot of research supporting us for years, but I think it's just making the connections. Like, I don't think um, those connections needed to be made. Um, So.
0: But, I mean, we've known for 30 years that three-year-olds, probably more than 30 years, that three-year-olds need to be up and moving and swinging and twisting and jumping. And yet, it seems like what happens in way too many early learning programs is we do just the opposite. If we want them to sit still, we make them sit still more when, in fact, if we want them to be able to sit still for 20 minutes, they need to go out and move for an hour and a half. So right. oh, how how have, how have we gotten it so wrong for so long?
1: Yeah, I think that I think I think all educators should have some kind of neuroscience training. I think that this is really really important <laughs> stuff um, and a better understanding of how the senses work because it lays a foundation for learning. If your senses and your brain's not organized, it's really hard to pay attention and to um, you know. To, to learn anything really.
0: Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. I think it's all about the cultural fear of our kids not getting ahead because that's what makes us put them in chairs. That's what makes us drive them to the next enrichment class. That's what gets us to give them the homework so early and cut down on recess. I mean, we're just petrified that these kids are gonna be behind somebody else, whether yeah. it's the kid next door or the country next door. and and. So we freak out. We start containerizing them and we start making them sit still for longer periods. And the first thing to go seems to always be outside play and free play. So, what we're doing is exactly the opposite of what they need. And sometimes the kids themselves are telling us that. They're showing us with their bodies and with their attitudes and with their, I can't do this. And, um, you know, and we think, but we slapped down all that money for that enrichment class. So you have to go, you know, you can't just sit there and whack a tree with a stick and spin around in circles. That's wasting time. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, a real, it's a real battle in the adult brain when really what we need to do is understand the child's brain more so that we can support that because we all want what's best for our kids. We're not bad people, but our well-meaningness, sometimes we're just way too well-meaning <laughs> right. and we're well-meaning about the wrong things. So I love the um, the depth of the neuroscience that you can give to this topic because I think sometimes even those who are listening who are big play advocates, sometimes they just feel like. They're repeating the same thing, but it's good for kids to play, and, and they need something substantial to back it up. So what you're saying is there's tons of research out there that backs this up, and it's not just something nice, it's, it's essential.
0: And, and so to wrap this episode up, Angela, could you give us like the elevator pitch? You're stuck, you're stuck with a couple preschool parents in an elevator for, for 30 seconds or a minute. And what's your pitch for play? How do you explain to them that spinning around and jumping and running and all of that stuff when they're three and four is getting them ready for the more academic, more, more instructor-focused um, experiences they're going to have in a couple years?
1: Yeah. So for the preschool age, um, everything should be play. Um, they really, that is their work, um, as you both know very well. Um, but it it does, um, it does lay the foundation for everything. And so if they miss that window, it's, it's, it's harder, it's harder um, to create change. It takes longer later on for the senses. So I think it's foundational and it should be, um, something that is, um, is key to learning. I also think there's a lot of motivation with play. So and that that play is so meaningful to children that it will trump fears, it will trump um, so many things. Kids with sensory issues often have anxiety tied with that. And so if it's true play and it's child directed, then you take away a lot of the stress that and that control that you're talking about, Heather, um, that actually can backfire for kids with sensory issues, so. Good. Well, thank you.
2: And we're going to continue our conversation because we're just thrilled to to have you on the show. So thanks so much for the introduction to to all the good work that you're doing. Can you tell people how to find your book and how to find you on the web?
1: Absolutely. So you can find us at TimBurnock.com. And you can also find us, follow us on Facebook can we put the latest research and different things to think about from the therapeutic standpoint with um, outdoor play? And,
0: and hey, listeners, uh, if you if you really if you're an early childhood person or or a parent of a young child, you can go. F- you can go much wrong than picking up uh, Balanced and Barefoot because if, if, you, can, if you put together the, if you, the only thing you could read in the next couple of years about early childhood would be Heather's books and Angela's books. Um, I, I quote them all the time to make myself look and feel smarter because they're, they're just great works that, uh, that break down what we really need to be doing with young children. We will be back soon with another episode. Heather Shoemaker is at heathershoemaker.com. You can find me just Google Explorations Early Learning and you'll find me. Thanks for listening. Back soon. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music by Alexander Schumacher. This has been an Explorations Early Learning Upstairs Studio production. Oh. Hey, we need your support to keep the podcasts flowing. Go to ExplorationsEarlyLearning.com slash support to learn how. One of the big things you can do is shop Amazon with the link we provide. You buy your cat food, you buy your kids' books, you buy whatever it is you buy on Amazon. You pay the regular price. We get a small percentage of it. Everybody wins. A lot of people are doing it. It really supports the shows, and we really appreciate it. Give it a try. Thanks.